Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I want, I want to share with you because I think of all the fear that we have. Terrorists, people are worried everywhere. We thought about another school shooting this last week. What a terrible time. And people saying, I, I don't even know that I can trust to send my kids out to school without worrying about whether they get home or not. We, we find it in the airlines. We worry about the airplanes. We worry about the shopping malls, the workplaces, and even the church where it seems as though that the devil is on a rampage to destroy and people by fear. And yet the Scripture teaches us, fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now I wish that we could have as many people today worried about those that are going into eternity without knowing Christ as we worry about those in the workplace or in the schoolhouse about the terrorists. Because I want to tell you the devil's on the move today, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You see, these words that I read to you this morning were words that came not from some raging, fanatical, uh, Blackwoods peak preacher. And sometimes I've been accused of that, and that's okay. But I want to tell you something. I've run a lot of people out of those woods. And so when we begin to think about it, there were, these words were spoken by Jesus, the very Son of God, and the Prince of Peace. And, and he, we know Him as He spoke these words. Do you know that Jesus spoke more about the hell than He did heaven? And yet we hear people all the time talking about and preaching about what it's like to go to heaven. What a wonderful place. And I'm not saying it's not. It's a wonderful I'm looking for it too. But Jesus wanted to warn us that there is another place, a place the Bible talks about as being hell. Hell is a real place. And I want you to know it's almost as if Jesus had a passion to warn men and women of this place. In fact, he called it a place where he said, The worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. So over and over he talked about this place of torment. He used that word, not just me. It's a place that he says is torment. That's the very word he used. And Jesus went out of his way to talk about the subject of hell and to warn people of what's necessary for them to do to stay away from this horrible, horrible place. And you know, I thought about that. You know, we ought to be talking more and more and more about this place of torment. Because, my friend, it is a reality. And there are people around you, your neighbors, in your family, some that, are, that, that you work with side by side. One of these days, they're going to leave this world. They're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. And so we need to know what is going on. But, you know, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, I don't know that there's been a book published about this place called hell since World War II. And I believe there's a reason for that. Because, you see, first of all, who would want to publish a book that nobody would buy? Because nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to hear about it. And so it's like trying to, trying to find a modern book on the subject of hell is kind of like trying to find a book on how to build a castle. Because, you see, we don't live in castles anymore. 
And people want to ignore the fact of what is. The listeners and the viewers, my friend, even to those that are preaching today in churches and on television and on the radio and in the Internet, you see, none of them want to talk about this subject of hell. They want to talk about it because they know their hearers don't want to hear it. They want to talk about it, think about it. When was the last time you heard somebody on television or radio or even on the Internet talk about the subject of hell? In fact, I would even say there's many of our pastors who don't want to talk about it anymore either. But you know something? When I think about it, you know, they want to talk about blessings. They want to talk about all the prosperities and the healings in heaven, but not hell, certainly not hell. You see, liberal theologians have written it off many years ago. You see, they want to, they, they're, they're, any preacher that is, that preaches about this anymore uh, along the trails of hell dares to stand in a pulpit and declare that the Bible is literally true. The hell is a real place. Hell is a real people in it. And they will spend what, many times when we preach that, people say, well, what an illiterate, what a, what a simple-minded preacher that is to talk about those things. Well, let me tell you something. I believe the Bible. And I believe the Bible talks about a place that we're going to, either we're going to be well with God and make ourselves right with God and know that we're on that trail that's going to lead us to heaven. And if we're not, my friend, I want to tell you something, there is only one other place, and that is hell. And so there's a lot of people that are going, well, well, you know what, when people say, well, I know the Bible says that, but, but you know, preacher, I don't think we ought to talk a lot about that. Well, let me tell you something. Let me give you an illustration. If I had a Rand McNally's map, which I carry in my car all the time because I can't trust my GPS, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I look at this map. And this map tells me that if I go out here and I get on Highway 70, I-77, and I want to go... To Cleveland, from Canton to Cleveland, I know that that map tells me that I need to take I-77 north. But you say, well, preacher, you know, that Rand McNally map, it's kind of outdated. And you know, there's lots of highways anymore, and there's lots of roads that go. But, but you know what? Really, if you get on 77, you might end up in Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to tell you something. If you tell me that, and you want me to ride with you, I ain't getting in the car. Because I'm not going to Columbus, I'm going to Cleveland. You see, there's only one way. Highway 77, no matter how, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how much you believe that it's going to go to Columbus, Ain't never going to get you there. And I want to tell you something. Without salvation and without a walk with God, you're never going to get to heaven. And you need to know that. That needs to be a fact that needs to be preached. And I want to tell you something. You can't really. People say, well, I tell you, my friend, you know, they say all the time, I, I just don't believe that. Yet this is the preaching of the liberal today. This is the preaching. I asked pastor, you know that Jesus warned people from that place called hell. He warned people up against it. And, and you know that he told us that we were either going up or to heaven or we're going down to hell. But I think, you say, I hear people say, oh, but you know, I know the Bible says that. I, I know that you shouldn't talk about that stuff. That scares people. I think, I think, I think, you know what? When you begin to think you, in your own ideology, you're in trouble. It's not what I think. It's not what you think. I don't want anybody to go to that place. That's the reason why I stand on a pulpit and preach it. 
Because I want people to be aware that there is there. But you know, my friend, when you change the Scriptures to suit your own ideology, you think in error. The fact of the matter is that 100 years from now, you or I are either going to, we're going to be in eternity or we're going to be in eternity with God to worship forever or we're going to be in the place the Bible says is for the devil and his angels. You're going to be in one place or the other in 100 years from now, no matter whether you believe it or not. And so I ask today, what's happened in our churches that we no longer talk about hell? What is it that we never want to talk about what this place is all about? I can't believe the collapse in theology in the church. I mean, we want to talk about everything except that. Well, I want to tell you something. I want you to know that I believe the Bible is a, is a book that God has given to us. He wants us to preach that from cover to cover. He wants us to, to warn people from Genesis to Revelation of what's going to happen in this life and in the life to come. And so in order to do that, you have to preach on the subject whether you want to hear it or not. You have to believe, my friend. You have to know it. And as an evangelist, I constantly did that. Everywhere I held a meeting, at least one service, I talked about this place called hell, as well as I talked during the week about going to heaven. You see, but we have to let people know. As a pastor, I constantly kept that truth before my people. Not everyone liked it. I've had some people say to me, you know, you ought to just soothe it down a little bit. You ought to be a little more careful on how you talk about those things. After all, you know, it's going to scare people. But you know, I came from the old school. And I believe from this one thing. I know one thing. I have more faith in the old master than I do in the new one. I have a whole lot more faith in what the Bible says than what a lot of people are saying today. You know what? I thought about Charles Spurgeon and I liked it. I've read a lot on him. And you know, he was a, he, he was a pastor a, a number of years ago of a huge church, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London years ago. And you know, he was such a, a preacher that, that preached and made things come alive. That he had such a burden for London. He had such a burden for moms and dads and children that he, everywhere he went, he preached on the subject of hell, trying to spare them. I'll never forget him preaching a message and talking about, he said, if sinners are going to be damned into that place, let them leap over our bodies, holding on to their knees, trying to persuade them from going to hell. He said, if they go to hell, let them never go there without knowing that someone prayed for them. Someone prayed that they would turn their hearts to God. You see, he had a compassion he wanted the keys and hell must be filled. He said, let it be filled with those, not one of them going there without knowing that they were warned and prayed for. And you know, that's been the goal of my ministry. That's been the goal of my life. And that's been the goal of the church. At least it ought to be. It ought to be the goal of the church. And somehow that's where Spurgeon felt. He would go to any lengths to, to remind and to warn his hearers of hell. And today the church leaders denied the place that even exists. Many of them don't even want to talk about it. Not only do they not warn them that they use false information, they lead people away. And in the meantime, at every tick of the clock, at every click of the clock, at, at every day that we return on, and I thought about this as I was thinking this week about preaching this, not knowing about the school shooting that was going to take place, and I thought about all of those parents that sent their children off to that school 
with the idea that they would almost through the end of the year go and take your final exams. You'll be out for a ride. For, you'll be out and have some free time. Those teachers are prepared for that. Little did they know that there would not be another day. But I thought about that. What have we done? What if they would have been in my congregation? What if those young people had sat there and I had never told them that even as a youth that they could be hurled into eternity? The Bible says, don't be worried about those that can destroy the body. Because you see, if you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian, I don't care if a terrorist would blow me apart. I want to know one thing, that I'm going to heaven. You see, because I know better. And you know what? I think about this subject all the time. I think about people, these young people that are there. And I thought about this. You know, they, many teachers today, at every clock as a generation gets closer and closer where the, to the place, the Bible says, where there'll be no more time. Where they're placed, my friend, where the Bible says there'll be no relief from the unending torment. And that word torment, you know what that word meant? The Scripture spelled it out. He said where there'll be weeping and wailing. Think about it. As I watched the news and I saw those parents crying and weeping and wailing for their children that had just been killed. And yet the Bible says that's what it's going to be like in hell. There'll be weeping and wailing and gashing of teeth. There'll be outer darkness. And I begin to think, how would that happen? Can you imagine if you could put in your mind of a person walking through the corridors of hell in the darkness, hearing the screams and the shrillness and the, and the moaning and the groaning and the smell and the stench of that place, and it's not going to last just for a little while. The Bible says they're going to be there through all eternity. I guess the greatest way to explain that I've ever come to me as a reality is when a young girl, a little child, about eight years old, was playing in the yard. It was in the fall of the year. We used to do it all the time. You rake the leaves down in the ditch. Then you light them on fire and you stand around and watch them burn up because you didn't want to clean them up. You just burn them up. And we would do it all the time. But this young girl in the midst of them burning the leaves was playing with some of the other children, and they thought it was kind of fun, you know. The leaves are down in the ditch, and the ditch is not very wide, and so one would jump across. And then the other one would jump across, and then they'd jump back. And after doing it about three or four times, this little girl lost her balance and fell backwards into the leaves that was burning. By the time they could get the parents to get her to get her out, the little children didn't know what to do. They came screaming and yelling. They brought her out. They took her to the hospital. And I'll never forget it. This little girl that was there in the hospital, the whole backside of her was all burnt. The skin was peeling off. With that dirt from them leaves and that blackness from them that was embedded and they had to lay her down and, and give her some sedatives. And as they did, they couldn't get rid of all that pain from those nerves. They peeled it all out trying to clean it. And then I remember going back to see her as, as she was set. And they put her on this little carriage thing and they would pull it up. And they would swing it over and they would set it on top of a, what we would call a whirlpool. But in that whirlpool, they would dump soap suds. They would dump, put tide. It literally was tide. And they would lure that little girl. And as she knew what was coming, 
She would begin to scream and shake and hold, please, 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 no, no, no. And when she went down to that, my friend, the screams and the yell that came from that little girl, and when they pulled her out, the smell of that, egg, that, that flesh that had been burnt. And I begin to think, oh God, if hell is like that, what is going to be for people? That's what made me have a desire to try to save every young child every mother, every boy, every girl, because I smelt that. I seen what had taken place. And it, my friend, was no ways near what the Bible says hell's going to be all about. It ought to make us so concerned that we couldn't sleep at night knowing that they were without Christ. But you know what? I thought about this. The question has to be asked. Since Jesus made Himself such an issue of hell, don't you think that we ought to? If we're to preach what Jesus preached, if we're to live what Jesus lived, if we're to express what Jesus expressed, well, should we not express that fact to people to keep them from going there? Why do we spend so much time on issues in eternity that won't make an ounce of sense? I look around today and so many times, and I've seen it through the years. You know, we hear people say all the time, you know what, I thought about this as a church. One hundred years from now, no one's going to know. No one's going to even be concerned about whether you had a choir that sang in robes or had a praise team. And yet we find churches that are dividing over that. You know what? I thought about this, you know, a hundred years from now in eternity. Nobody's going to care whether or not our church was traditional or contemporary. Most of them will never even remember what color of carpet we had. But I've known people that leave church says, I don't like that color carpet. You know what? We get into the most foolish things. We spend our time and our energy on the most unproductive things when we're seeing our children and our parents and those that are going into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ because we spent so much time on everything that was trivial rather than on the most important things. The most important thing that can happen in our lives, my friend, is to know that everyone we know that we can help goes to heaven. You know what? A hundred years from now, the question will be whether you're in heaven or whether you're in hell. That's what's important to me. Listen, my friend, I'm placing before your mind this morning, and I know, I know that you, many times we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to think about this, but I want to tell you, this is the most important question in your life. The most important question in your life is where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to be when life is over here and you find yourself in the presence of God? I ask the Holy Spirit to wake every one of us up to the urgency of it. The urgency, my friend, of this. Many say, well, someday when I get ready, someday when I get everything in order, someday I'll make that commitment to Christ. It doesn't happen doesn't happen. I thought a young man that grew up in the church and went off to college and got an education. While he was there, he met a beautiful girl, fell in love. They got married, came back to the church. The preacher married him. They said, well, we're going to come. We're going to come to church now that, now that we've come together. and Husband and wife, we know we need a place to worship. But, but you know, it wasn't long until they had bought a house and and they had to work on the house. Well, they work all week. they got to have the weekend. And so the preacher got concerned. He saw them, and he kept reminding them they ought to come to church. And, well, you know, when we get things in order, we'll, 
we're going to come to church. We haven't forgot about the church. Well, it wasn't long until, you know, she was pregnant. And they found out that she was going to have twins, but there was problems with pregnancy. And so what did they do? They called the church for prayer, like we always do, and that's okay. And so the preacher began to hear the request, and he found out about him. went by the house to visit him. He went to the hospital when she was put in the hospital for it, and they, a couple of times before the delivery came. When the two twins came, he was there, and he said, Now if you bring them little ones to church and dedicate them to God and, and teach them the right way. And they said, Well, you know, twins is a lot of work. And you know, we're, we're, we never can get a good night's sleep, and it's, it's hard for us to get them ready and bring them to church on Sunday. I mean, I mean, when they get a little age on them, we'll, we'll start doing that. You know what happened? As time went on, you know, through their life. This is a true story. And they went on in life, and, and pretty soon the little girls grew up, and they started going to kindergarten. Then there were some activities they wanted to get involved in. And the next thing you know, they were involved in, in soccer. Well, soccer comes on Sunday. And so they didn't bring the girls to church. He promised over and over that they would come one day when we get things right, we're going to come. When we get things set on up, we're going to come. And so they kept going. And the first thing you know, the, the little girls got older and older and they weren't coming to church. And finally the young man, 38 years old, ended up in the hospital with a heart attack. Well, you know, like any good preacher, he went to see him. Went to talk to him about him. Prayed for him. He, he, he prayed for him that, that the God would bring healing, that he'd get well. And he said, you know, preacher, he said, I know that I've made a lot of mistakes. i made a lot of promises. And I, I've been telling you that I'm going to come. Someday I was going to come to church. And he said, you know what? This has really woke me up. This has made me realize I really need to get my family in church. They released him from the hospital. Well, you know... First Sunday getting out of the hospital is not like Reuben. You know, he had to wait a week or two before he could come home, come to church. But you know what? Within two weeks he had another heart attack. This time he didn't make it to the hospital. You know what? He finally made true to his call. He said, someday when I get things straightened out, I'm going to come to church. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. The most expensive car in town hauled him up to that church door back there. Six of his best friends, dressed in their best clothes, carried him down the aisle into the church. And the preacher stood and did a service, a memorial service for a man. He finally came true to his word. When he got straightened out, he'd come to church. My friend, we ought not to wait until we get straightened out in a, in a casket. Oh, they can make you look wonderful. Put a little formaldehyde in you and get somebody to comb your hair right and get some makeup on your face. Some people look better in the casket than they do in life. But the fact of the matter is they're going to either heaven or hell. You see, the thing that we're concerned about is not all these other things. That's what's happening in the world today. That's what's happening within the church. And let me tell you something, my friend. If we would pray, and we need to be praying for these young people, I thank God that they're learning the Word of God. They're learning how to witness to other kids. Because you know what? If you win one of those kids to the Lord, if you teach them about what the Bible says, let me tell you something. In a school shooting, if they're gone, you can have the assurance they're going to heaven. You see, because, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're, you're judging these young people. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, as sure as we're alive, we're going to die. And when we die, we're going to either heaven or hell. 
once you receive that age of accountability. You see, you're kidding yourself. No one comes to God unless the Holy Spirit draws them. You can't say, well, tomorrow or next week or two weeks from now, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, except the Spirit draweth a man. How can they be saved? You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God deals with your heart, when the Spirit of God speaks to you in a church service like this, don't just pass it aside. Don't just say, well, that preacher's kind of just upset me. No, my friend, it's the Spirit of God saying to you, you need to make things right today. Because this is the only time you have. You don't have any assurance of tomorrow, neither do I. No one comes to God in their own time. You come when God calls you or you don't come at all. And so I say to you that even this morning, if there's a convicting spirit, if there's a spirit that's dealing with your heart, if there's something that, that maybe was said and the spirit's dealing with you this morning and saying you're just not where you ought to be, you need to make sure you make it right. You need to take that time today because without that convicting presence, my friend, you have no access to the throne of God and no way to get saved. But the altar today is open. The altar is open in every service. Let me tell you something. It's open for you today. And you can make a decision today where you're going to spend eternity. You can know. I don't know what's going to hold in this life. I don't know how many more sermons I'll get to preach. I don't know how many more places I'll get to travel. But I know one thing, that when this life ends and that heart stops and my breath stops and I fall to this ground and you say, man, he died, don't you believe it? I'm going to tell you something, I just moved out. You see, because you make that decision to go to heaven now. But I'm going to tell you what I really believe today. I have a great conviction to this. I truly believe today that the average churchgoer is only mildly interested or concerned about eternity. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just being honest. We worry about whether we're going to get what we want. And, and you know, most of our prayers is, uh, Lord, give me, give me, give me. We're kind of like kids. You see, most of us are not concerned about that. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe that too many preachers are more concerned about having the right kind of message that just, just soothes and makes people feel good. Or, 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 or they, want to, they, want to, they want to brag about what kind of attendance we have. Or they want to brag about what kind of a building we have. And are not one ounce of concerned about going 52 weeks out of the year with not one person at an altar. I know what I'm talking about. I've been in this thing for 50 years. I'm going to tell you what I happened. You know what used to bother me? When I'd go to a general assembly of the Church of God in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, wherever I've been, and all I want to hear is they say, Brother Swagger, how many did you have last Sunday? You know what my concern was? How many of them ever asked me, how many people got saved last week? How many people got healed last week? How many people have felt the call to ministry? How many people have felt the call to missions? You see, we're concerned about the wrong things. The thing that's most important. Listen to me, young people. Listen to the Spirit of God. God still calls young people into ministry. God still speaks. 
You're looking at one at 14 and 15 years old that the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I didn't know what he wanted at the moment, but I found out. God said, I want you to preach. And you know what? He's kept me doing it for 50 years. Let me tell you, the reason why we've got a shortage of pastors today is because we've got too many parents that are not so much concerned about their kids being in ministry and winning souls for Jesus Christ as they are being doctors and lawyers and and business people and all these things. You know, most of them, when I look at them, and they, they change their, they go off to school, and, and maybe they got this, this urge that maybe God's going to use them. And the first thing you know, after a semester or two, somebody talks to them about, you can make more money and it's a lot less work if you do this or do that. Well, let me tell you something. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of work. What it is, it's a matter of whether you have a compassion to win the loss for Jesus Christ. You see the rewards in eternity. I hear a lot of people talking about streets of gold and house of gold and great city. Great, let me tell you something. I don't care if he makes me a street person as long as I'm in heaven. You know, I really don't. I mean, as long as I make it to heaven. You know, that's what's important is getting somebody to heaven. Well, I get off my subject. Let me, let me tell you. I believe that the average congregation in many churches... If you preach too long or add, if you decide, you know what, God's moving and I have a burden, I think we ought to hold a, a three- or four-day revival. People say, well, you can't do that. We're too busy. I mean, our kids are playing baseball and, and they're playing soccer and they're playing tennis and they're playing basketball. And, and, and you know, after all, you know, we're both working now and, and you know, we've got all these things we've got to do at home. Let me tell you, maybe God ought to take away some of that stuff. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa, you know, if you've got more junk and more things to do than you do of serving God, maybe you've got too much. Okay? Maybe the Lord needs it. Maybe you ought to get rid of it and give the money to the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not preaching against having those things, but you see, when those things take priority over the spiritual things, we're in trouble as a church. The concern that we ought to have is for the souls of people. Let me tell you something. I believe... The church, many times church leadership at every level is more interested in status quo, whether we're operating by the bylaws or not, whether we're doing it by, uh, you know, whether it's Robert's rules of order. And the fact is that hell is filling every moment while we fuss about the foolish things. Let me tell you something. I believe that God wants the church to realize what's needed. Barren altars don't even rise an eyebrow so long as the offering plates are full and the grass is cut on the outside and the sweepers run down the middle aisle and there's no garbage land anywhere. We're happy. Oh, we got this wonderful little church. And, you know, I hear people say all the time, oh, I just love to go to church. And, and you know, they, 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 you know, sometimes when, when the preacher uses a little poem or, or there's some little smoothie song that goes on, and I, it just makes me feel so warm and so comfortable. Let me tell you something. I can buy it at Kohl's. All I've got to do is buy a comforter. It'll make me feel the same way. You see, God never intended us to come to feel good. I believe in feelings. I believe you get, a, you get the Spirit of God in your heart and life, you're going to feel it. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we, we let these things off. It, it's business as usual in the household of faith a lot of time. Meantime, the world and our kids and our friends are on a lightning fast trip to the, to the 
eternities without Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, my friend, we need to be more concerned. Thank God for a few watchmen. You know, when I think about being a watchman, that's basically what God called me to be. But I thought about an accident or a terrible tragedy that happened in the state of Tennessee. I pastored there for a little while. And I was up in, uh, I don't know where it was, Knoxville, someplace. Anyway, late at night and dark. They tell me about these mountains. You know, you go up and down. They didn't have all the interstates they have now. From one mountain to the other, they run in cable bridges across. It was a terrible story. Lightning is flashing, black as black can be, and the rain's falling. And all of a sudden, the fellow's driving down that mountain. And he noticed this big 18-wheeler. He was relying on him to see he was watching the back of his truck. And all of a sudden, it disappeared. That's strange. Pretty soon he slowed down a little bit, and the guy went around him and sped on by, and all of a sudden he seen the brakes, and then the lights disappeared, and then there was a splash. When he got to the edge of the bridge, he found out lightning had hit that bridge, and the cables had busted. That car and that truck had gone over that mountain. They lost their lives. He immediately put his car in reverse and he backed up that mountain. It was black and raining. He heard seeing, seeing lights coming and he began to throw his flashers on and he began to get out and wave at him and, and the old guy just drove right on by him. A little bit, he heard the thunder down in the bottom of that valley. He backed up a little further. He put that thing across the road. He got out and he was waving and waving and waving and said, Man, no, no, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. A fellow coming by in a van with three of his kids and he drove off the road into the ditch and he couldn't go any further. He got out and he began to holler and scream and cuss at this man. And he said, Listen, all I'm trying to do is save your family. Those folks went down there. They lost their lives. I'm trying to save your family. You know, that's all we're doing as preachers. I'm just trying to save your family. I'm just trying to get them to go to heaven and not end up in hell. That's what it's all about. That's what the church is all about. My friend is trying to bring people into the fold. You see, I think our church and our country has to come back to God. I'm looking for those Spirit-driven men and women of God who are willing to stand in the roadway, who's willing not to give up, who's willing to keep going, to keep trying, to keep trying to influence those that even have turned us off. I've had a few of those through the years. Do you know what? When they need us the most, when trouble came and eternity looked close, They remembered the one that told them the right way. You know what I'm looking for today? I tell you, I pray that somewhere there is a God is going to have an outbreak of the Holy Spirit fire, an anointing on our nation, my friend, that will put crack dealers out of business. I'm looking for an anointing, my friend, that will close down the bars that will close down the strip joints, that will make the porno dealers look for different work, that will sweep through the halls of the public schools with or without the Supreme Court's permission to reach hearts and lives. I want to be involved in that kind of a spiritual move. I don't want to read about it a hundred years or fifty years ago. I want to know today that God's still working in that way. And it will 
when God's people come to that place. It has to happen. It's not a matter it would be nice if it could happen. It has to happen. And it will when Christians begin to fear those who are able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When we realize that. My friend, what we need today more than anything else is we need a spiritual move of God that will help us to realize that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It will happen, my friend, when pastors and believers really truly believe there is a place called hell. You've got to believe it. If you don't believe it, you're never going to have that dirge. It will happen when preachers stop preaching just positive thinking and politics and start preaching about the eternities of God. That's when it will happen. How much of a burden do you have for your family that's outside of the kingdom? How much of a concern do you have about the children in your neighborhood? We've got Bible school coming up here. Great teachers. Great lessons that will teach and instill in the hearts of these children. In closing this morning, I think about a little girl that had been a Christian. She loved the Lord, loved the church. Went to school and she heard about one of her friends, a little boy who was a good friend of hers, he had missed two weeks of school, she decided that she would go by one day and, and visit. And when she went to visit, the parents wouldn't let her in. They said, our son has cancer. He don't want to be bothered by nobody. She said, well, I just wanted to pray for him. They said, we don't believe in prayer. We don't go to church. Our son, our son never went to church. You, you just go on about your business. Now, that little girl went home. She had such a bad burden for that little boy that she prayed and she prayed. And she felt the urge that after school the next day that she would try again. She went back to that house and she climbed up those stairs up onto the porch and knocked on the door. Nobody answered. She stood there on the door for a little while and she could hear someone on the inside. And on the inside was a mother weeping over that little boy that was at death's door. She said to her son, Hon, just hold on, honey. Hold on. It'll hurt her a little while, but hold on. It'll pass. And then she heard her father reaching over to her son and said, Son, you know, we're here for you. You know what we've told you. Just hold on, son. Hold on. It'll be okay. Then she heard his little sister say, Honey, I love you so much. And I'm going to miss you, but just hold on. And then she heard a screaming voice from a little boy with cancer. He said, help me. There's nothing to hold on to. Let me tell you, people without Christ, there's nothing to hold on to. When you're faced with the decisions, the sister talking about cancer and, and the things that take You know what? You could hold on to the Scripture. You could hold on to what God promised in this life as well as in eternity. But when there's nothing there and there's no belief there and there's no system of faith there, what does our kids hold on to? What does our parents hold on to? You see, God will hold you in life as well as within death church this morning, how much of a burden do we really have for the lost in this community? Look around at the empty pews that could be filled this morning. 
looking around at those people that they enjoy the fellowship, they enjoy all this, but they don't, they don't have that walk with God. The Bible says the only way they come is when His people, when we're willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face concerning them, the Spirit of God doesn't have a chance with that. These altars ought to be lined on Sundays. If not for yourself, for the loss that you know of. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, oh Lord, you know the burden that we carry for this church and for these folks. God, fill our altars and help us to rescue the perishing today while there's still time. Help us, Lord, to reach out to those that are lost. Those, Lord, that doesn't know you. Those that, are, that need someone to bridge the gap for them. Someone that will help them along the way. God, we pray this morning. We would not walk out of this place without carrying a burden for someone. And Lord, if we're here this, they're here this morning. And Lord, they know they're not ready. If eternity, if you were to call for them, Lord, they're not sure. Because there is no hope so salvation. We either have it or we don't. Father, speak to hearts and lives today. Help them, Lord, to make that decision that they can leave this place today knowing absolutely, without a doubt, that they're ready to meet you. Father, speak to hearts and lives as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Will you come as we sing?